Would you please turn into your copy of God's Word, the Psalm 77? Psalm 77, the portion of Scripture we're going to look at this morning was written by a man by the name of Asaph. The majority of the Psalms are written by David and Solomon, but there are other portions written by different men, and this man was Asaph. He was a chief musician. He was the worship leader who was assigned by King David for the tabernacle choir. He was one of the top three singers in all of Israel during the golden age of Israel. He was a singer-songwriter. He had the ability to write music, but then also the talent to sing the music as well. And of course, we know if he was over the Tabernacle Choir, he had the ability to also conduct and lead large choirs. And we see when he's writing Psalm 77, he is in a very dark place. He's in a rough spot. And it comes out in his words. Many times, singer-songwriters, their songs are birthed out of their own experience. And it hits in a very raw way because it's so real. And we're going to look at how Asaph was crippled by anxiety. And then we'll also look at how he overcame his anxiety. First, we must read verses 1 through 9 of Psalm 77. And Asaph writes, I cried... Unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, we don't know what the trouble is, but the day of his trouble, I sought the Lord. And notice what he says during this period of his life. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes wakened. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart. In my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. That word, Selah is a musical term used all throughout the Psalms. And it means stop. Not just stop, but stop and consider and think about what you just sang. And here we see David, or Asaph rather, in a very troubled place. 
And now I'd like to read one verse from the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing. What we can do, where that word careful is, we could swap it out with the word anxious. That's how we would use that word today. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. Each year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effect of anxiety, phobias, and related disorders. Anxiety is an increasingly common experience, especially in our fast-paced modern world. And it affects people from all walks of life. It doesn't matter your age or your gender or your background. It's important for us as Christians to understand the tension here. The tension between our fears and God's promises of peace and God's promises of provision for us. So this morning, in our short time together, let's deepen our understanding of its causes and look at some biblical strategies for overcoming anxiety. It manifests itself in many various forms, from everyday worries and stresses to more debilitating anxiety disorders. This is nothing new. Anxiety has been around since the fall. And even Asaph, who wrote the psalm that we just read, lived 3,000 years ago. Definitely not our modern fast-paced world, but nonetheless, he experienced forms of anxiety. Look at verse number 2. It says, In the day of my trouble... I sought the Lord. He says, my sore, what was troubling him? We don't have any details of what his trouble was. We don't know what his sore was. But he says, whatever it was that was bothering him, it just ran in the night. He says, it ceased not. He says, in my soul, it doesn't matter what I did, my soul could not find comfort. For Asaph, it affected his mental, emotional, and even his physical well-being. And no doubt beyond that, interfered with his relationships, with his work, with his quality of life. And one of the reasons anxiety is such a horrible experience, because it makes us feel like we are out of control. And many times it will go even beyond that and we wonder, is anyone in control? And we don't dare say it with our lips, but we question, is God right now even in control? For Asaph, a force bigger than himself took over and he felt like a helpless victim. Verse number three of his psalm. He says, I remembered God. So he's not an atheist here. He's not turning his back on God. He's acknowledging there is a God up in heaven 
That I know, but look what he goes on. He goes, I remembered God, and I was still troubled. He says, I complained. In my spirit, it was simply overwhelmed. He didn't understand what was happening or when something would strike again. Anxiety isn't always the sight of trouble, but the suspicion of trouble. Suspicion that there's going to be trouble right around the next corner. It's inevitable. In our, in our minds, we brace because we know it's just a matter of time till something troubling jumps out of the shadows. And it can very easily become a steady flow of what-ifs. And if something good happens, we just wonder when the other shoe is going to drop. For Asaph, he said he was so troubled that he could not speak. Verse number four. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. He's experiencing insomnia. His eyes just looked up at the ceiling fan. I doubt he had ceiling fans. You know what I mean. But he goes on. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Here is a man whose job is to write. He got that job because he was good at it. Words flowed out of him. He was a writer. And here we see a writer saying, I have no words. I cannot speak. What I am feeling inside of me, I don't have words for. Let me clarify. Anxiety and healthy fear are not the same. Fear will see a threat. Anxiety imagines a threat. Fear results in fight or flight, where anxiety will create doom or maybe even some sort of a gloomy outlook. Fear is when you see the presence of a poisonous snake in the front yard. That's where fight or flight kicks in. I fall in the flight aspect of that. And I'm seeing some of you do too. Fear sees a snake, and it's either going to go grab a shovel or it's going to go get the neighbor. Anxiety always imagines there's a snake out in the front yard. And not just one. There might be one, two, three, or four. There might be some under the bushes that we cannot see. So therefore, I am never going to go out in the front yard again. The presence of anxiety in our lives is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is avoidable. Anxiety is not a sin. It's an emotion. However, anxiety can lead to sinful behavior. And God does not want us to live in perpetual anxiety, but he wants us to live a victorious, peaceful life, a life that is strong, a life that is positive, a life that has a good influence on the lives that are around us. How do we discern the difference between worry and anxiety and stress? Let's look at worry first. 
concern can be a good thing in our lives if it's in short, small doses. It occurs occurs when we anticipate a specific problem and we spend a limited time dealing with it and coming up with a solution. The car breaks down and we figure out how we're going to get it fixed. But in the meantime, we then also figure out how we're going to get dad to work, how we can get the kids to school and the kids off to practice and back home. Anxiety, when left unchecked, would go ahead and while you're driving the one car that the family now's had, you get consumed that that car too is going to break down. And when that car breaks down, then what are you going to do? What if there are no cars to rent? What if no one can loan you a car? What if the husband then can't get to the job because there's no ride and he ends up losing that job? Anxiety runs ahead. Concern is good when there's a big project at work that perhaps can set us up for promotion. Or we have an unexpected expense and we think about how we're going to pay for it. That's healthy concern. There's a challenge. We think about how we're going to face it and then we execute our plan. But concern slips over to worry when it becomes too big. And it lasts too long and it paralyzes us. And when worry is left unchecked, it leads us into Anxiety. Anxiety is worrying thoughts that lead to horrible feelings. Let's look back at the life of Asaph in verse 6. How is anxiety affecting his feelings? He says, I call to remembrance my song in, in the night. I commune with mine own heart. In my spirit made diligent search. He is overthinking here. He goes, I commune all night with my heart. My mind is diligently searching. He is overthinking. Do we have any overthinking people here this morning? My hand is up. That's what he's doing. The emotions of fear and dread begin to grow. And it's causing a sense of gloom to settle on Asaph's life. Worry is in our mind and in our thoughts. And when that is left unchecked, it turns into anxiety, which affects our feelings and affects our emotions. And when anxiety is left unchecked, it turns to stress and it affects our bodies. And this is what Asaph is experiencing, the stress of the runaway anxiety, a never-ending loop. So the worry, anxiety, stress cycle goes round and round, and Asaph Asaph said, I don't think there's any end in sight with the cycle that I am in. His outlook is anything but positive. Look at what he writes in verses 7 and 8 here. This is the chief musician. This is the chief worship leader appointed by David. He says, will the Lord cast off for how long? Forever. And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Asaph is here thinking this is going to last forever. No more blue skies for me. 
If anyone had reason in Scripture to be anxious, it would have been the Apostle Paul. At the time of his writing the book of Philippians, he's in prison, and he's about 60 years old. So far over his 60 years, mostly just the most frequent years since his conversion, he was whipped five times, beaten with rods three times, in prison, deserted by friends and co-workers, probably half blind, and he's awaiting trial where he knew he'd be found guilty. But yet his letter to the Philippians doesn't have one word of fear or anxiety in it. He never shakes his fist at God. Instead, he lifts thanks to God, and he calls on his readers to do the same. Is it possible? Is it possible for a person to maintain an uninterrupted feeling of gladness? The answer to that is no. But that's not Paul's challenge to the Philippians. Paul has a call not to a feeling, but to a decision that we make. Paul is getting away from feelings. It doesn't matter what you feel like. What decisions are you going to make in your life? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be careful or be anxious for nothing. That's a command. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. That verse is an entire sermon series. But my point in bringing that up is Paul is saying, look, it is a decision that you make. It's not a feeling that you fall into. It's a confidence that God is good and God is in control. And in each of his letters, the Apostle Paul addressed conviction before he addressed actions. He addressed, this is what we believe. And he went after the doctrines. What do we know about God? What do we believe out of God? Because once you believe those things, the proper actions will come out of it. We get into trouble when we flip those two. When we don't have a deep understanding of God, and we just do the actions, because those actions won't last long, because they are not seated in the truths of God. To change the way a person responds to life, change what a person believes about life. The most important thing about us is our belief system. We must believe, as Christians, in a sovereign God. Sovereignty is the term the Bible uses to describe God's perfect control and his management over the whole universe. He preserves and he governs every element. He's involved with all created things, helping them fulfill his divine purpose. Isaiah chapter 49 or 46 verses 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. He's saying from the past to the future, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Understanding God's sovereignty provides for us an antidote for anxiety. 
when we think that we are victims, victims of unseen forces and random forces, we become very troubled. In the book, Traffic Jams Harm the Heart. Has anyone read that? <laughs> Didn't know it was out there. It's written by Alan Moses. German researchers found that a traffic jam increases your chances of a heart attack threefold. It's one reason why I moved out of the D.C. area. Although with Charlotte growing, I'm starting to feel it. Being stuck between cars is the ultimate loss of control. We know how to drive, but no one else does. And anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. When we feel like we're losing control, that's when anxiety slips in. So what do we do? Do we try to control everything in our life? Does that mean every time we fly, we bring a backup parachute and make sure it's just in the bin above us? Don't check that one. That's a carry-on. Do we go to a restaurant, bring our own utensils, our plates, our glassware? Do we wear a gas mask every time we go outside? Sometimes the most stressed out people are control freaks. Anyone have a control freak in their life? The more they try to control, the more they realize they can't control. And they end up failing at the very thing they're trying mostly to do. The Bible has a better plan. Instead of seeking total control, relinquish it. We can't run the world, but we could trust God with it. And this is the intent of Paul's message when he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. Now, before I hit, read that last phrase, let's try to get, understand what he is saying. Of course, rejoice in the Lord. But then he says, to write the same things to you. What he is saying here is, I have written the same thing before to you. But he goes on, to me indeed is not grievous. Says, it doesn't grieve me that I have to repeat myself over and over to you. A teacher understands that repetition aids learning. All parents understand and hope that repetition aids learning. Although there's times where you just scratch your head and say, really? I don't think that works. And Paul is saying, I am repeating myself again. I'm not grieved at all. Why? Because what's the payoff? That's the end of the verse. But for you, it is safe. If you rejoice in the Lord, your life, you will understand, is safe in God's hand. There is peace. There is provision. There is strength. Inner peace is within reach. Not because we're not going to have any more problems. Problems we will take to our grave. So it's not because we won't have any problems, but because we will have the presence of a sovereign God. And God can stabilize our soul when our belief system includes his sovereign reign. There's going to be times when we feel alone or we think we are alone. But there's a never, ever a moment we have to face life without help. 
Job chapter 42, verse 2 says, When you feel out of control, remember God is in control of everything. Psalm 147, when you feel weak, remember God is all-powerful. Hebrews chapter 13, when you feel helpless, remember God is our helper. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, when you feel vulnerable, remember God is our protection. When you're worried about money, remember God's promise to supply all your needs in Philippians chapter 4. When pessimistic, that's no one in this room, I understand. But when pessimistic, remember, remember God is optimistic about your future. So we must recognize God is sovereign. He is in control. We read some headlines the past 24 hours. We must remember God is in control. But also we must take the stance of prayer, not despair. The average person throughout their lifetime spends five years waiting in lines. It's estimated roughly six months of that is waiting at traffic lights or at an intersection. Have you ever sat at a red light and thought your red light is longer than everyone else's red light? Or it was your turn to get a red light and you didn't get it, but they get to go again? We wait a lot in life, but when we pray, God doesn't make us wait. He doesn't put us on hold. He doesn't throw us over to voicemail. Understand something. God loves the sound of your voice. He wants to hear your voice. And he hears when we pray. Prayer is like a fisherman casting his bait into the water. He's relocating the lure from the end of his fishing pole into the water. And that's exactly what prayer is. We are relocating our worries and our anxiety from our life into God's hands. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And when we feel anxiety coming on, and we feel fear coming in, this needs to be our first response. We have the belief system of a sovereign God, but then we must cast our cares in the direction of God. Up to this point, we've been reminding ourselves of God's character and his authority and his strength, and he's in charge, and now it's our turn to act, and we act by praying. And God calls on us to pray about everything. Interesting. Doesn't God already know everything? If God already knows everything about my life, then why is he making me spend time in prayer about it? He already knows. Just answer it already, right? He loves the sound of our voice. In the New Testament, Jesus was going through villages and healing many. There's an account in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus is doing just that. He's healing all who would come to him. And there's a blind man there. And Jesus calls the blind man over. And let's read the two verses that kind of capsulate that interaction. Luke chapter 18, verse 40 and 41. And Jesus stood and commanded him, that's the blind man, to be brought unto him. 
And when he was come near, Jesus asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? Here's a blind man. Jesus is healing. Bring a blind man. And Jesus asked the blind man, what would you like from me? Isn't that obvious? Don't you believe this blind man would love to be able to see again? And the blind man's response was, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Even though the answer was obvious, Jesus wanted that blind man to articulate his response. He wanted to hear his voice. God wants to hear our voice. He wants us to articulate our needs. Yes, he knows our needs. He knows everything about us. But he wants us to come to him in prayer. We empty our mind of worry when we fill it with prayer. Prayer pushes out worry. Worry is an internal conversation that we have with ourselves, And sometimes that internal conversation goes long through the night and through the next day. And sometimes that conversation is put on pause, but then a couple days later is picked back up. Prayer pushes out that worry. So worry is an internal conversation. Prayer is conversation with God. We could take everything to God in prayer. Now let's check back with Asaph. And in our conclusion, let's just go ahead and see how Asaph handled his anxiety. When we left him, he was in a very dark place. He didn't think his cycle that he was in would ever end. At the end of verse 9, we see that Selah, and he stopped and he thought about what he just said. He takes a deep breath. And as he does this, some of his frantic feelings begin to dissipate and to subside. From what we know, Asaph still has the same trouble in his life. The sore that he mentioned that ran through the night is still present. In the first nine verses that we read, he used a lot of feeling verbs, anxiety verbs. It was out of emotion, accusations pointed towards God. But as we look at the next portion of Psalm 77, we see more trusting verbs. Let's read verses 10 through 13. And this is Asaph. And I said, this is my infirmity. The this is present tense. It's still there. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. That right hand means God's sovereignty. He's still in control. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Do you remember there was a time Asaph could not even speak but here saying, I am going to talk of your goodness in my life. And then verse 11, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. He's no longer in isolation. He's no longer quarantined himself so he would not have to see anyone. He's saying it is in the sanctuary around others who think like 
you do and like I do who trust in God's character. Who is so great a God as our God? Asaph decides he's going to think thoughts about God rather than focus on his feelings. And he meditates on God's character. He meditates on God's work in his life. He meditates on God's word. So as we have worry in our everyday life slip in, worry can get out of control so quick. And it becomes anxiety in our lives. And our mind runs ahead and scenarios begin to get played out. When that happens, we need to have a Selah moment. We need to stop. We need to consider the things of the Lord. We need to recognize, God, you're sovereign. Nothing happens without you noticing. And we need to pray. And we see in Asaph's life that biblical reasoning is now in control. And Asaph is finally able to rest. He models for us how to move from emotional thinking over to biblical reasoning. And when we feel that we're out of control or things are out of control, and the emotions get wrapped up in that, we need to get back to not how we feel, but what do we know, what truths do we know about God? And just cast it in his direction. Hudson Taylor, who is a missionary to China, he's founder of what's known today as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, said this. He said, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then, when we have given all over to him, there'll be nothing left for us to be troubled about. When we take things back, those are the things that end up troubling us because we try to control them. We're the control freaks, and we realize we can't control everything. But Hudson Taylor said, just give it all to God. And I understand that in a 30-minute message, anxiety just can't be fixed. But I will say this. The principles that we talked about and the biblical truths will help us and provide an antidote for us when we do have those ancient or anxious moments enter our life. And I'll finish with this first. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting, relocating, casting all your care, casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. He knows your name. He loves the sound of your voice. And he wants you to articulate your needs to him. Asaph started off in a rough spot. But when he had that Selah moment and recognized the sovereignty of God and began his communion with God, he got himself back to where he needed to be. Let's pray, shall we?
Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.